So you can turn if you want to Genesis 1, or you can, uh, I'd really encourage you just to listen, just to listen to Adam, just to sit back, uh, put off your eyes and put on your ears and just rest in the Word of God. So this is Genesis chapter 1, and we'll be going to Genesis chapter 2 as well. So just listen and enjoy. It's always a, a privilege to hear the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there is no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Father God, as we look to hear your word this morning, I pray that you by your spirit would help us to hear it would help us to understand your word, would help us to leave this building today excited to live for you and uh, to be what you've made us to be in your wonderful name. Amen. During the Christmas holidays, I met Christine. She was the manager of a popular kids' store, and we had gone there to buy Ezekiel's birthday present, and now we were back to return it. After we got into a conversation about all matters of life, it felt appropriate for me to ask this question. Do you love what you do? Uh, She had been in retail for over a decade and was very good at her job. It was very secure. She had seniority. uh, The pay was regular. And um, the job was pretty easy for her. Uh, But up to this point, she hadn't smiled at all. But after asking the question, she looked up at me with a huge smile on her face and uh, little stars in her eyes and said, I've just quit my job. She was thrilled. For about a decade, she had dreamt of doing this. She had dreamt of working in social services, specifically helping drug addicts. And she had finally found the courage to quit her safe job and to go and do uh, something else that also had guarantees. Guarantees of not having a clear job offer in the clinic she was going to go and serve in. Guarantees to not be paid uh, or possibly just a little wage. Uh, 
and guaranteed to start from the very bottom. And she couldn't be happier about it. For the first time in her life, she was finally doing what she believed she was made for. Uh, and she's not unique. When you think about it, why do senior citizens desperately want to contribute to society? Why do so many unemployed people struggle with depression? Why do so many employed people hate their jobs? The theory this morning as we look at Genesis, what I want to propose to us is that there's a voice inside of all of us that we try and silence or we try and ignore, but there's a voice inside of all of us that says you were made for something. In these short uh, seven weeks that follow, uh, I'm going to do a little series through Genesis. And it's a series that's going to ask you to answer these questions. Um, or it's going to ask you these, to do this, to listen again to that voice that we've tried so hard to ignore. To be courageous, because to do what we're made for, will take that. To stop burying that desire you have to carve your unique story in this world. To be like a child again and, and find that belief again that you really are like a snowflake unique and different and have a real purpose in society to consider if what you are doing is what God has made you for made you to do to do your work that you believe in that you're passionate about and that you were made for to work hard to work really really hard and to learn how to rest really really well and to find a life rhythm of work and rest in other words, by the time we end the series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you will learn how to be fully human again. So let's start in Genesis. The first words of the Bible, which Adam read to us this morning, introduce God as an artist. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. That's how Adam started us this morning. The word created there is bara. Uh, in the original language, and it's especially used in the Bible to refer to the acts of God. It's when God brings something into existence that did not exist before. Uh, and King David displayed his understanding of this when he said to God, he said these words, God, create in me a clean heart. He wasn't saying, God, help my old heart be purified and become better, improve me, help me to kind of come, become self-actualized, to, to really be the person I ought to be. He's saying, God, I need you to give me a new heart, a clean heart. I need you to create in me something that doesn't yet exist. Um, he was asking God for a miracle. And Barra is used in Genesis. That word is used in Genesis three times in three different ways. The first time to show us the, the, three, the three stages of creation. If the, these lights are bothering some people, I see sunglasses and that coming out. Maybe you can just switch them off. Uh, the first stage is Barra, the creation of the universe. Um, everything, big, huge. This, God made everything out of nothing. Second one is the living creatures. It becomes more distinct. There's a, there's a second phase. God finished that creative phase. God started a new creative phase where he creates living things. And then a third creative phase where God makes man. And each stage is different. Each stage is important but it's escalating in importance. The final stage is by far the most important stage God creates. Uh, something out of nothing, God creates human. Um, the phrase, the heavens and the earth, is a figure of speech in, the, in that language, and it simply means everything. 
And so the first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God supernaturally created everything. And at first, the world was created, the, the world God created was formless and empty. This is a Hebrew phrase that's tohu wabohu. Uh, it sounds kind of like a Star Wars thing, I think. Sorry for those guys who are way better at sci-fi than I am. Um, but it sounds like something Yoda or someone would say. Um, but but it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that fun-loving Germans have turned into a word within their language. It's a Hebrew phrase that they use. And in German, the word tohu wabohu means chaos. And chaos is not far from the original Hebrew either. The phrase in its original means that it was humanly inhabitable. In other words, the world was an alien wasteland. And so God uh, takes this alien wasteland and he gets to work. And so for six days, as Adam read, God creates life forms and fills the earth with them. Genesis 1, 3 to 30. And the universe, the stars, the moon, the water, everything Adam read, God creates in this alien wasteland. He gets to work. Uh, And during these six days, we see that God is an artist. He's an inventor. He's a designer. He's an engineer, a director, an author, an architect, a scientist, a builder, an organizer, a farmer, a landscaper, a gardener, an astronomer, a historian, a planner, a geologist, a marine biologist, a bird watcher, musician, poet, painter, director, entrepreneur, king, and on and on and on we can go. At the end of it, it's to show us that God is a worker. God works. After six days of working, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Genesis 1 verse 31. Seeing in a reflective sense, being able to look back on our work is very important. Being able to reflect and go, that is very good, is very important. Very good. God uh, derives satisfaction and joy from his work. He looks at his hard labor for six days. At everything he's done, he's fulfilled every career of all of us. And he looks back at what he's done, he's going... It's very good. It's like when a mother sees her sleeping baby at the end of a long day. When a Boeing engineer switches on the engine for the first time after hours and hours of work. When a coder runs a test and finds there's no flaw in his program. When a shipping yard launches their new boat into the water and it doesn't sink. When an artist puts her brush down to see the painting. I can't believe that four weeks ago there was a blank canvas and now we have this beautiful painting developing. When a builder looks at the house he has built. When a carpenter slides her splintered hand across the surface of a newly finished table. When an administrator looks at a finished spreadsheet. I don't really understand. I think, I think people get a kick out of that. Um, excuse me if that's not what administrators love. Um, when an accountant makes the impossible books balance legally, <laughs> looks back. Oh, it's that moment, that breathless sense of satisfaction when we look back and say, that was very good. God is not pleased on the seventh day or at the end of the sixth because his work is finished. God is getting pleasure from his work. He's not going, oh, it's done. Now I get to rest. He's going, Oh, it's very good. I can rest in the reflection on its beauty and its goodness and the wonder. And I can't wait to do some more good work. But now's the time to just rest and reflect and enjoy. 
In the final stage of creation, God created a partner. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female. The word image is salem, and it means uh, a representative figure, like an idol, something which shows us someone else. God said, let's give creation a representative of us, of me, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let's give them an idol. And so here, here it, idols we understand are always put in temples so that those who come and worship can come to the temple and can see what that God is like and can worship that God. And so God puts human into creation so that all creation can look at human and find what God is like. I know this guy used to say, that uh, animals are instinctively attracted to people who are more like God. And um, so when you go to the park and a dog comes and sniffs you up, uh, that dog is actually um, kind of recognizing your holiness, and, and that should be awesome. And so the more Christ-like you become, the more like Jesus you become, uh, the more you should expect to get sniffed and licked and stunned and bitten and pooped on. Um, and I'm pretty sure this is not paradise. I'm pretty sure that's not Adam and Eve's reality, that they go into creation and all of nature just seeks to do whatever they do on Adam and Eve. Uh, that's fortunately not what it's like. But how are we supposed to show God in creation? How are we His idols, His statues, His representatives in creation? That's the other word there, dominion. God gave us dominion. The word dominion is radar, which means to rule, and that is royal language that you rule the way a king rules. Um, as representatives of God, we are told, Adam and Eve are told, that they are kings and queens of creation. That is their kingdom. That is their temple where they will display God as kings and queens. And this helps us see our function on earth. We are responsible for the world and the lives that exist here. It's our planet, and we are responsible for everything that is in it. And we are to rule over creation as representatives of God to rule like God would rule, and to respect His will and His character in all the things that we do and the ways that we do them. Without giving too much away, isn't this what Jesus taught us when the disciples said, how do you pray? And He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom, that's ruling language, that's royal language, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught, Genesis tells us we are put here to rule for God, to show what God is like. And Jesus tells us to pray that God's kingdom rule would come into our world. How's it going to come? Through those who God has put here to rule for Him. Let's dive quickly into some other creation narratives because in the ancient Near East, there were lots of these creation stories. Uh, The Christian one is not the only one. Um, It was a common view in the ancient Near East. The king represented the God on earth. And the king was described as bearing God's image. So this is not a foreign concept. This is within the st- the, many of the other stories. But because the king alone bore the image of God, what is the consequence? The consequence, therefore, is that no one else does. If the king, if our king, if our earthly king bears the image of God, then none of us do. And what does that do? That creates a class distinction. It means that some people are more important than other people. But the Bible's creation story teaches that all human beings have kingly functions, that all human beings are made in the image of God, and that all human beings are rulers on earth. Therefore, all people are equal. All life 
is valuable. There is no life more precious than another. In another creation story in the ancient world, uh, the God of gods, Marduk, reveals his plan to create man. He says this, I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Verily, savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. So the the gods are tired of working. They don't want to work anymore, and they're whinging to Marduk, the god of gods, the god who created them. And Marduk goes, okay, so what I'll do is I'll make a slave, and he'll go do the god's work, and then you guys can just chill out and and relax. So really, to be a god means to be lazy, and to be a man means to be a slave. But in the Bible's creation story, humanity isn't the slave of God. Humanity is the partner of God. We see this partnership throughout creation. Uh, God could have made uh, more people, but... We see that uh, God partners with people to make people. I've partnered with God four times. At some stage, you've got to stop. Instead uh, of putting food on the table, God partners with people to farm the ground. And Nas joins in a partnership every single day with farmers and truckies and grocery stores and banks uh, and appliance providers and a bunch of other gas providers and bunch of other people. She, she partners with a hundred people who are partnering with God to provide my family a meal at night. God partners with us to make cars, build hospitals, create fish farms, national parks, movies, music, poetry, orphanages, clothes, to do a million other things. As Regan said, God partnered in uh, blessing Regan last night by putting it on Jordan's heart to prepare a song to play over them. And Regan was blessed because Jordan partnered with God in making music. So God's partner human is told in verse uh, 1 verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. If be fruitful and multiply is read as a command, it means this, drop your pants and make lots of babies. Some of the guys are going, I hope it means that, I hope it means, it's not what it means, it's not a command because any animal can do that, that's not special, that's not special at all. There's something far more special in God's command, far bigger in, 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 not, not in the command, in what God is saying. Humans don't need to be told to drop their pants and make babies. We do that by ourselves all the time. What is God saying here by be fruitful and multiply? Saying this, this is a blessing from God. He's saying to man, I am making you a life giver to the world. And through you, I am going to build societies. So it means that the person who walks into a situation and is able to lift the heads of others, is being fruitful and multiplying. It means the farmer who walks into the field and is able to produce a good crop. It means the doctor who's able to use her skill to bring sick people back to health. The designer who's able to take cloth and create beautiful and affordable garments. The musician who takes notes and arranges them in sweet melodies. The painter that can take a blank canvas and produce a picture that stirs awe in other people. The photographer that can walk into an environment and create and capture an emotion and a moment and a memory to make something out of nothing. The carpenter that can take a dead piece of wood and create a functional masterpiece. The blessing from God is that we as partners create life and make it flourish just as he has done to join him in creating life and making it flourish for all people. 
Let's carry on. The word subdue is kabash. Kabash, such a cool word. Don't you wish you could uh, understand Hebrew? It's just like tohu abohu, kabash. That's <laughs> just so cool. Uh, which can mean, to, uh, this word is a terrible word. It can mean uh, to bring into bondage, to enslave, to rape. That's what it can mean. That's what subduing can mean. But subduing can also mean positive things. It can also mean to overcome an enemy that otherwise will kill you or to bring order where there's chaos. So I don't think God is telling us to destroy the world, to, to in its worst, I, I, I'm not even comfortable saying this, but to rape the world, but to subdue it, to make something out of the chaos, to create life and bring order. We read in Corinthians, God is a God of order. So those who are partnering with him are bringing beautiful, creative, life-giving order into the world. So humans are made to be life-giving rulers who bring order in creation. In short, humans are made to improve any environment they are in. If you are a human, wherever you go should be better because you're there. To leave things better than we found them. To make life beautiful everywhere for everyone and everything for the glory of God. But the Bible is full of stories of good human rulers and bad human rulers. On the side of good, we have people who built cities, developed cultures, written music and poetry, invented technology, planted crops, made wine, raised cattle, traveled to the moon, invented photography, painted, sculptured, landscaped, traveled, built furniture, made food, discovered fire, and maybe most importantly, found coffee. But on the bad side, bad human rulers invented drunkenness, oppression, violence, racism, atomic bombs, genocide, terrorism, the GFC, pornography, endangered species, strip mining, and hungry jacks. I'm just throwing that in for, I I ended on coffee for Josh and I ended on Hungry Jacks for Josh. Do you know how Josh 